Welcome to the So Powerful Podcast. This is your host, Jan Cancillo. You know the sound of my sewing machine means it's time for another episode. So, let's get started. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the So Powerful Podcast. The purpose of our podcast is to bring you 30-minute weekly episodes that feature stories, inspiration, and news about this So Powerful charity. We're going to kick off our podcast today by talking with So Powerful's co-founders, Jason and Cinnamon Miles. They will take us through a chance meeting that brought Jason to a place that has become the heart and soul of So Powerful. Both will share how the organization started small, but is now a global movement. Jason and Cinnamon have just published the second edition of their best-selling book, We Are So Powerful. But before we get into that, let me first share their impressive backgrounds. Jason G. Miles is the co-founder of Pixie Fair and So Powerful. He holds a graduate degree in business administration with an emphasis in international nonprofit management, as well as undergraduate degrees in both organizational management and biblical studies. He previously served as the Senior Vice President of Advancement at Northwest University, his alma mater. He started his career at World Vision, where he spent 16 years in both human resources and fundraising. Cinnamon Miles is the co-founder and lead designer at Liberty Jane and So Powerful. She manages the company's premier web property, www.pixiefair.com, the world's largest doll clothes pattern marketplace. Cinnamon is also the best-selling author of The Idiot's Guide Sewing, and Beginning Sewing, her bestseller that can frequently be found at Costco, Walmart, and bookstores worldwide. Cinnamon previously served with Youth with a Mission in Eastern Europe. She's also partnered in short-term missions to places such as Latvia, Mexico, and Romania. Welcome, Cinnamon and Jason. Hi, Jan. Hi. 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 Thank you you so much. (laughs) Okay, this is our first episode. I'm hoping it all goes well so people will come back every week and listen. So no pressure, right? (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) Let's start off by talking about the book you just published. Why a book and why now? Sure. Yeah, actually, well, this is the second edition of it. So the first edition came out, I think, I should have looked, but 2016. Um, and it was really an opportunity for us to tell the whole story uh, behind the founding of the charity, and then also to really include stories from people around the world. And uh, the the book, the initial, the first edition came out with a nice collection of stories from purse makers around the world. And for the second edition, we really had an opportunity to uh, update the book in terms of what's happened since 2015, 2016, as well as include a lot more stories from from purse makers and partners. It has stories of uh, seamstresses and that kind of thing. So that's the uh, the story behind the book. Yeah. Well, well, and a lot has happened in the last four years. Yeah. Nope. Uh, well, can you take us back to the beginning? Take take us to the early days, the pre so powerful days. And just tell us how this all came about. Sure. Um, you want me to start? And sure. we can tag team it. Yeah. Okay. How, how far back in time do you want us to go? <laughs> well, you know, you know you're, on a, you're working for World Vision and okay. you're on a trip to Africa and something happens. Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, well, so 
I was with World Vision for 16 years and, and uh, had the opportunity to lead trips around the world. Um, did a lot of work in um, Honduras and, and uh, Romania in particular, many African countries. Cinnamon and I traveled together um, leading trips. And uh, on one occasion in uh, 2009, March 2009, I got the opportunity to go and visit uh, Lusaka, Zambia. And wandered into on one of our off days, we wandered into uh, this community called Nombe Compound. Happy to tell the story of kind of how that all played out, but um, it really was a life changer uh, for me. We weren't on the trip together; it was mm-hmm. uh, just uh, me there with a group, and then came back and told Cinnamon all about it. Um, yeah, Jason, in the book, you say that day defined your life. Yeah, those were your words. <laughs> Yeah. Do you feel like that still? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, I, the reason is because I just felt very clearly the Lord speak to me that I was supposed to help this lady and this group of ladies. Uh, and I didn't know how, and I didn't know what to do with that, but I had never heard such a clear calling. Uh, I, I, I have felt called to the ministry in general, uh, for my better part of my whole life, I suppose, but it never felt a specific calling to one specific location, geographic work or, or effort until that day. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a big deal. And Cinnamon, you weren't on that trip, right? Jason was, you were back home, right? Right, right. So he was on that trip uh, with World Vision. He took a team, um, you know, and, and we were uh, married for a while, had three kids. And so I think you know, from our side, always just kind of trying to figure out, um, like our involvement in missions, Jason got a huge, um, like he was fulfilled with that a lot through his job. So I think, you know, on, on my side, trying to figure out, like I had this burning desire for missions before we got married, before I had kids and I could just go on trips. Um, so when he came back on this, uh, from that trip and we kind of had our business up and running and, you know, it was a perfect opportunity, I think for us to really kind of own something like we both really felt like this was a way for us to go deep into something that, you know, we had no idea what, what would become of it. But at the time just knew like this was a perfect opportunity for us to really just both go do something together. You didn't go Zambia away. What, what's going on in Zambia? <laughs> well, I have to say at the beginning, it wasn't <laughs> Romania, which was really bit. actually, I think, <laughs> you know, Eastern Europe was really strong passion for me and still is. Um, but, you know, it's, um, you know, just like with Jason, I didn't go for a couple years after that, but I did hear the stories and see the pictures and going, you know, and it, it is a special place and it really does just grab your heart you know, when you're there and you just realize this, the circumstances um, that, you know, you just, you can't really fathom or understand coming from the Western United States for, you know, most people's life. Um, You can't not want to do something, at least that's how we both felt, you know, it's just compelled to, you know, come alongside Esther and the program and really just do whatever we could to um, help her help that community. So Jason, you, you met Esther on that first uh, encounter, and can you tell us about what she was doing and, and the, the circumstances that she was 
trying mm-hmm. to run a school in. It's very challenging. Yeah, so, yeah, she had started a community school in this community called Nombe Compound. And uh, she had started in 2003. So when I visited in 2009, it had been up and going for quite a while. Um, and they started with 99 students when she started. She started because she felt very, very convicted that there were just tons and tons, thousands of kids running the streets in Nombe Compound that didn't attend school. And the reason she was passionate about it as a local mom with her own kids there was there's really three tiers of school, you know, in Zambia, there's private school, which is like private school anywhere. It's like the elite expensive option. And then there's government schools, which was, that's their word for like, you know, community schools or, or, uh, you know, uh, our local school system. And then there was what they refer to as a community school, which means it's really a collection of moms who are rallying together to try to put on school for the kids who aren't otherwise enrolled. And that's what she had done. And she was doing it uh, at a good level, a high level. She had at that point, 475 kids when I went to visit her. And, um, and she was just really convicted that the kids needed uh, an opportunity. And she had a group of moms that were helping her. And she had a group uh, beyond that called caregivers that had been trained to uh, respond to the HIV AIDS pandemic that she was coordinating. And um, that was just her personal conviction and calling that she needed to do something to help these kids, you know. And, you know, I think you said in the book that most people might just feel overwhelmed by the poverty that, that you saw, but you sort of had the opposite reaction. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a weird thing, you know. A lot of people are blind to poverty, you know, like in, just in our own personal lives, you know, sometimes you drive past the wrong part of town and you, your heart doesn't go out for it, you know you don't feel a a burden or conviction. And we all have those circumstances in our life where there's just something that doesn't resonate with us as something we're supposed to, to respond to. And, you know, sorry, that day, it was just like the opposite. It was just, I just wanted to figure out, you know, how to collaborate, how to be of help, it was mesmerizing. I mean, it was, a, it was a mesmerizing set of dire problems. And that's really what, I think that's part of the calling is. Sorry. That's okay. Um, I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated by the situation. And so I just, I, for whatever it is, 11 years now or more, whatever it is, beyond 10 years, been fascinated by the circumstance and the problem there and this uh, fascination the the interest in it hasn't gone away and I think that's part of the calling is to just say God's put a, a question mark in my heart as to why this situation exists how the community can work together to resolve it how we're supposed to be a part of it as outsiders you know obviously we haven't moved there uh, and what our role really is in supporting the effort. And so I think that's probably the, the big takeaway from that day and the work since then is I just am provoked to curiosity about what's occurring and how we can, how we can be a part of, you know, making a difference. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can just add just a little bit, you know, I think to your comment about being overwhelmed when you are in a, like that type of situation and it's too big of a problem and, you know, you might do nothing kind of because you don't know what to do at all. And go, at least every time I've been there and I would assume even the first time Jason went there, the fact that Esther was there already doing something mm-hmm. was like something already in action. And so you don't show up to that situation and just see just everything, just the the desperation of the whole thing. And just like, where do I start? Mm -hmm. It was very easy to just come alongside her and she's so passionate and has so, you know, such a big vision for what she wants that it actually takes a lot of the pressure off it. I think on Mm -hmm. our side to know that it's not, us coming up with ideas, even though we have lots of ideas, you know, it's always been a good collaboration and, you know, what Esther really feels like is the best thing for that community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it works really well. I think in that version of this, that, you know, it's just different than just the whole sort of unknown. Yeah. And we've never really felt, sorry to just elaborate on that. Never really felt like we have like, you know, they, they call it a Messiah complex where like you want to save people or whatever. And I really, from the very beginning, when I really felt clearly that the Lord speak to me that I was supposed to help them, that was the first thing I thought was, I, I don't have any answers. I don't have any solutions. I can't even, it's, it would be insanely arrogant to even think you could propose solutions in the context in which they operate uh, as a community. Once you've been there and seen the challenges that are in the community and and so it's really about serving and collaborating and partnering. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's the hallmarks of what we're trying to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's one little thing I, I had to chuckle because apparently the children sang and danced for you, for the group that came in. Yeah. But then they ask you to reciprocate. <laughs> yeah, it was horrible. I'm glad I wasn't there on that trip. Of course, they've made us do it every time yeah, pretty much. But yeah. every, <laughs> every trip we go to, of course, they'll do a, they, they kind of treat our trips as like an opportunity to do like <laughs> rehearsed plays, skits, songs, and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, we're like their audience. And then uh, they did ask me to dance with, for the kids. And that was... <laughs> ridiculous was that recorded and, can we find that video anywhere I'm not sure we can find that video anywhere i think it might have been scrubbed from this <laughs> um you know you you talk uh, about the situation there and a, a lot of the the population is very young uh, yeah. because parents have lost their lives due to hiv which is very prevalent there mm-hmm. um, can you give us a little background on what what happened there Sure. Yeah. Well, um, when I first visited in 2009, it was quite a bit different than it is today. So things have changed to some degree, but the impact of the HIV AIDS pandemic is still really present uh, in the community. If you, if you know kind of what to look for, first of all, yeah, the, the population of Nome Bay compound is about 150,000 people is the estimate. Um, Half of them are under the age of 15 Um, in Zambia itself the statistics at the high level say that something like 13% of the country is HIV positive. But the way it works is that's true for all the population, which includes many, many, many villagers and people who are very rural uh, livers, you know, life uh, location livers. And that's a phrase. Um, And in Lusaka, of course, then you'd have a concentration of HIV. 
And then in Nombe compound, you even have a higher concentration of HIV. And then for what you might call, you know, mature adults, maybe like, you know, from let's just say, you know, 15 year olds to 40 year olds, the concentration of HIV is going to be even higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and what occurred there was a national tragedy and really a continental wide tragedy. HIV AIDS was sort of originated in Congo, many people believe, and Zambia is just south of Congo. And um, so the, the you know, virus raged there for years with many people unaware that it was occurring. And then many, once it did begin to be called the wasting disease, withering, withering disease, um, people didn't know what it was. Many, many rampant uh, sort of false, you know, claims about it or prevalent, uh, many, you know, kind of cultural beliefs uh, that really compounded the problem. And so what you ended up with was a community that was literally obliterated from average adult, mature adults. I mean, if you, if you, in 2009, when you would go to Nombe compound, you would see children and grandmas. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much what you saw. Now, today you'll see a lot of middle-aged people, but HIV, AIDS, TB, and malaria together just destroyed um, the community. And then you'd end up with a lot of really early pregnancies and um, just a ton of um, kids who maybe go through a few years of school and then they're done. And many, many children are done with school at seventh grade if they've gone through, you know, kind of the primary school level. Only 8% of children in Zambia graduate from high school or what they call secondary school. So the vast majority never go that far in school. And once they're done, they're done and they're in the community. And, uh, you know, early marriage, early uh, pregnancy and childbirth and all all is just a, a reality of the situation. So you see many, many desperate circumstances that, you know, come out of all of that. Okay. Well, why don't we take a break here? And when we, when we come back, we're going to continue talking about uh, the book in the early days of So Powerful. And uh, we're going to get caught up a little bit more about uh, where the charity is today. Have you gotten the second edition of the We Are So Powerful book? This updated version of the original bestseller, 4.9 out of 5 stars, by the way, is again authored by So Powerful co-founders Jason and Cinnamon Miles. It is available on Amazon in paperback or for your Kindle reader. This latest edition is packed full of moving stories about how So Powerful came to be, the volunteers who make it happen, and the way this small movement has grown into a global mission to break the cycle of poverty through education and the dignity of work. And don't forget, when you place your order, if you use smile.amazon.com and designate So Powerful as your preferred charity, Amazon will donate a portion of your purchase right back to So Powerful. And now back to our podcast. Welcome back. Before the break, uh, Jason was giving us his experiences with uh, his his encounters in the Nambe compound in Zambia. Um, and uh, Jason and Cinnamon, can you sort of fast forward? Where are we today and, and uh, sort of what's changed since those early times? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, we have a thriving ministry that we help uh, lead, and uh, we've got some exciting things happening on the ground in Zambia. Uh, a sewing cooperative or a group of, of seamstresses that rally together. Um, about 35 of them right now uh, in sort of three waves. We have the veterans, then we have sort of the sophomore class, and then the freshman class. Uh, but they're all paid for their work and they're trained on how to sew. Um, and so that's exciting. I'll talk about what they do specifically in terms of product in a moment. But we also have a soap team they, uh, that is um, you know, paid to be on a soap team. And then we have a farm uh, and the school is thriving. And uh, so there's uh, school teachers that are paid. And then um, there's a clinic for maternal health. Um, and it all works together in support of not just the one school, the one that Esther founded, but actually 11 schools in Nombe Compound are direct beneficiaries of the program work. And then many schools outside of Nombe Compound as well. Mm -hmm. um, so the programmatic side of the work is uh, on the seamstresses side, really a process of having them focus on what we call purposeful products. You want to describe those since I'm... Sure. monopolizing the conversation here. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. So we, um, when we worked with the seamstresses initially, um, you know, we were looking at things that they could sew um, and then use directly in the community. Um, we, we, I think, gave our input early on that, you know, trying to export items into the U.S. to sell wasn't a good long-term solution, but definitely the skills of sewing and as a long-term skill for them was um, a good way to move forward. So um, we worked through uh, the first project, which was sewing the school uniforms, and they also did a knitting machine. So they were knitting sweaters um, on the machine and sewing the school uniforms, which they would have the community members pay for. Um, it worked perfectly there. Um, and then- uh, And that's still to Yeah, that today. still happens. They actually do that. Um, I'm not sure for how many, but they do sew uniforms also for some of the other schools, which is great. It's kind of an entrepreneurial thing that they, you mm -hmm. know, they've stepped out a little bit um, to do that. And then um, when we introduced, which we didn't really exactly touch on, I don't think yet here, but the purse program, and um, we had, we, which is two sides, which actually goes back a little bit to the growth of not the program, the program side, but the donor side, which maybe we'll jump forward in a minute to. Um, we have the seamstresses sewing reusable feminine hygiene products that they will put into the purses that are received and then they get distributed to the community. So all the girls in the schools, the local community schools get those in health class, they're given that product. Um, so that they can stay in school all month long. So in the current situation, those girls don't have access to hygiene supplies. So when they start their period, they're missing school and um, it doesn't take very long before you miss a week, a month and you get behind and you drop out and you just, you know, you lose your momentum and you can't continue your education. So um, that part of it with the seamstresses, they do that piecework style and they're paid um, to sew that reusable hygiene. I'm thinking, do mm -hmm. they sew anything else besides mm -hmm. the hygiene? And well, the currently they're making COVID-19 masks, right. yes. <laughs> which is all the Side rage project. at the moment. Yes. And, and it is, they've done thousands of them now and helpful in the coronavirus response. Um, but yeah, no, those purposeful products, we mainly it's uh, the school uniforms, reusable hygiene pads, mm -hmm. soap, uh, and then of course, farm fresh food, we call a mm -hmm. purposeful product too. And 
can you explain a little bit more how the the idea of the purse came about and how that ties into to end up back in Zambia? Sure. Yeah. When we when Cinnamon and I started helping the moms there do the sewing cooperative, we were the first donors. We were the only donors. And like so for the first literally two years, we had our personal giving was the only giving that went into So Powerful, but we had set it up as a, you know, a proper 501c3 in Washington state with the hope that someday we would figure out how to, how to tell people the story. And, and um, so we were a couple years into it. And, and can I backtrack just a second? Sure. When you set this up as your personal giving, you weren't wealthy people. I mean, this was, no. this was a sacrificial gift, right? Well, yeah. I mean, in essence, this was our act of missions giving and our effort to support, uh, you know, what we felt like God was leading us to do in terms of caring for, uh, for others. And so, yeah, it was sacrificial, but we had a little eBay business that we had started and we were doing auctions and we would give proceeds of the auctions to support the work in Zambia. So we would call it Liberty Jane Gives Back and we would do auctions and that's how we funded it for the first couple of years. And, um, but about 2013, um, thereabouts, the seamstresses in Zambia were really good at the school uniforms. They were going and they were getting money locally for, for the uniforms and the children that were all in uniforms now in the school, it was really transformation. And so they were kind of well-versed in what they were doing. And we were on our side, um, we would talk to people about what we were doing but have you ever had a conversation where you like tell somebody something and they just change the subject completely? <laughs> like, Oh, that's great. Let me tell you about my dog that just yeah. like my puppy I got or something. So we just kept finding nobody cared <laughs> what we were doing. And um, we really, we felt like there was a story to tell. And um, then in 2013, 2014, we started to hear about the girls missing school on their period. And that, it was a real barrier to the girls succeeding. And we hadn't heard that before. And we started to investigate it. We asked Esther about that. And we realized that the seamstresses in Zambia could make reusable hygiene pads. And that is the logical solution uh, in that context. And um, when we were in that conversation with our board members that we'd pulled together, we expressed this, you know, like we really wish we could get people to be involved, you know? And we started brainstorming ways to do it. And the cinnamon had designed a purse uh, pattern a few years prior. And so we came up with this idea, what if we ask seamstresses around the world, our customers uh, from Pixie Fair, to, uh, to make a purse for us, for a girl in Zambia and to send it in. And um, it was like, would this work? Would somebody use what they had, you know, and sew and send it back? and you know as a gift to the girl and i think the first year that we did it we worked really hard to try to explain what we wanted and you know we got um i mean we got like yeah. 400 well, and i think we got 305 purses by the deadline and then by the end of the year this was like the end of 2014 mm -hmm. we had 503 awesome. purses yeah. and and i'll, um, I will say had... i did five of those purses that first year <laughs> you did yeah. That was not That's the awful. easier pattern. Yes. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah, so the first yeah. the first version of the pattern yeah. uh, was smaller and a little more complicated. Yeah. And um you know it it really I don't think and you could probably speak to this but I'm not sure that it connected 100% 
on the donor side, what we were trying to express until we went on that trip and we took those purses and mm -hmm. we came back with pictures and video and were able to actually say, here's your purse in the girl's hands. And then now, now it'll be my turn to cry. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I think immediately it changed on the other side. And um, we both, you know, I think we both realized that it's like, we don't need to try so hard that at that point, the whole donor side of the charity took a different um, path and it just like opened wide up. And that was what, 2015, 2014, like where we are right now it is amazing to see what's happened and what's happened so quickly and the passion on this side with people like you that just come alongside and have made this their own passion. And, you know, it's like, there's, there's so many people now that just have this burning in their heart to help this community. And, you know, it's not just us and um, it's amazing. And I think, you know, that after that first trip and, and really showing the girls receiving the purses and even us going and understanding how, you know, we said, oh, this will be meaningful. This, this is, they don't get gifts like this, but you go and you do it and you give it to them and you actually understand, you know, wait a second, they, they don't get gifts like this. You know, this is the most meaningful thing that somebody actually went out of their way to do something for mm -hmm. them, you know, that they didn't ask for that, but yeah. definitely meets a need, um, you know, is just really special. So it just took off first year again, it was 500 and I think 503 per purses. And then it just exponentially grew um, and went from there. Uh, 1,600, 3,600. We're up now to um, uh, this year, our goal is 20,020. Uh, we'll see if we hit that. Um, but it's thousands and thousands and thousands of purses that are getting, I mean, like yesterday, uh, we got um, like 28 boxes in. Uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's grown so widely. I mean, I knew we, I knew we had hit a nerve, I guess you could say when after the first, in the first year, I got an email from somebody who said, I set up a group in Australia. Hi, I'm, <laughs> I'm Kylie. And I have a hundred ladies in Australia making you purses. And I was like, what is happening? Uh, and it's just a, it's just a huge, huge blessing because mm -hmm. it, it's a symbol you know, the purse is a symbol of care that the, you know, that people uh, want to rally around these girls and these seamstresses in Zambia. It's a, a tangible expression mm -hmm. of a deep care and prayer and thinking about what's happening. And that's why it's so meaningful. Mm -hmm. you know? One other thing I think that really stood out to me when we put the, you know, Jason worked to put the first book together and I knew he was collecting stories from people who sewed purses and, you know, it's kind of all happening in the background. And then that first time when I sat there and, you know, skimmed the book and I'm looking at the first half and get to that part of those stories. And I, you know, I think I was crying, like just reading those, realizing that like we had focused so much on the ministry on the Zambia side. And we knew that, you know, that we needed to come alongside that and, we actually have two sides of a ministry to a whole bunch of people that have something that they like, you know, what's my calling? How do I give back? How do I, you know, 
participate mm -hmm. in a missions kind of way or anything like that without leaving their house, you know? And, and I think I struggled with that for a while before we, um, you know, really settled on this being a program that we could do together. And it's how, do, how does it fit into your everyday life? And, you know, we have an amazing group of seamstresses that have, you know, they're amazingly talented and have a huge fabric stash and, you know, and it just really meets a need where people feel it just adds so much meaning on that side, which, you know, I think was just like a double blessing, a secret blessing that we didn't really know we were even putting this together in this way, like finding these two different groups of people that could benefit each other. Well, and, and our intent on the podcast is to interview all those uh, purse makers who have submitted stories because we want to hear it from their perspective as well. Yeah. Well, uh, let's wrap this up uh, for today, but we're going to continue our conversation next week um, where I, I hope you'll join us. Uh, we're going to talk more with uh, Jason and Cinnamon. I'm sure we're going to talk about So Powerful for sure, but Jason and Cinnamon, you have such a wide array of talents and interests. We would just be remiss if we didn't cover some of, some of the things you do outside mm -hmm. of So Powerful. Um, so until then, uh, please join us next week. Thank you very much. If what you've heard today inspires you to want to make a difference, I urge you to explore the So Powerful website at www.sopowerful.org. That's S-E-W-P-O-W-E-R-F-U-L dot O-R-G. The website has great information about the organization. It's where you can download the free purse patterns or even make a donation. We hope you will join us again next week when we bring you another So Powerful story. Thanks for listening. Now, go out and have a So Powerful day. <laughs>